It is good to see you here this morning. I'm excited to be here. Today is uh, actually, um, today is Pentecost Sunday. And so if, if you don't know what that means, uh, that is the day kind of that the church celebrates the falling of the Holy Spirit. And so if you read in Acts chapter, uh, one, chapters 1 and 2, Jesus ascends back into heaven and he tells the world that, um, you know, he tells the world there's going to be a comforter that's going to come. There's going to be a helper that comes. It's better that I leave because then the Holy Spirit will come. And so what happens is the disciples go up and they go into the upper room and they pray and ask and say, so we're just going to hang out and wait until the Holy Spirit comes. And then the Holy Spirit comes, falls, comes on down on the earth. And um, now we have this beautiful thing where when we're saved, the Holy Spirit lives inside of us, transforming us, changing us, renewing us, making us like Jesus. And if you took the deeper class, we actually talk about that a lot in there, how um, it's whenever our lives are being transformed, it's actually the Holy Spirit transforming us from the inside out through Christ. And so that's just kind of a cool thing we get to celebrate today as a church. So we are going to be in Philippians chapter 3, um, 4 through 9, and it'll take me a little bit to get there, but we'll, we'll be there eventually. And then also in 1 Peter 2, uh, starting in verse... Nine is the main part I want to focus on. So that's kind of where we're going to be hanging out today. So um, I'm excited. We're starting a new series called The Heart of the Gospel. Y'all got that up there quick. Good. And so I'm excited to kind of do this as a church. Um, I've just been was thinking about praying about where we needed to head next. And I really just want to talk about the heart of the gospel. And so we're going to spend about four weeks just talking about what that looks like. Um, what that looks like today, we're just going to kind of set the scene for it. But we're going to talk about what that looks like through the eyes of God, the Father, through um, mankind, and through Jesus. And so we'll just, we'll get there eventually. But um, today, we're just going to kind of set the scene of the heart of the gospel. So when Katie and I were uh, began the, the church planning. We wanted to plant a church. We wanted to start. Uh, it's, it was actually about a two-year process, right? And so from the time we had our first service, there was about two years before that where we spent time learning how to plant a church, um, uh, how to do fundraising, all that kind of different stuff. And so one thing that we did is we went to training. We went to, in Birmingham, Alabama, we went to one of the first uh, training sessions. And one thing, what they kind of taught us was how to um, build a strong foundation, how to, um, so that you can be a healthy church from the beginning, you know, small groups, different things like that. So they walked us through a lot of things. One of the things that they taught us was uh, fundraising and how to, as a church, right, like we can't um, meet in a movie theater if we can't pay the rent to meet in a movie theater, right? So at the end of the day, money does matter a little bit, right? And so... No, yeah, okay. Um, money matters a little bit. So you need, you need, they talk about how you need a funding, strong funding to launch a healthy church so that you're not, so that as a pastor, you never have to get up and preach needing money, right? That's not a good thing if I have to get up here, preach needing money, because that, that can, I mean, hopefully that would never happen. But as, as a human, that might change the way I do some things, right? Hopefully that will never, ever happen. But they want us to have a strong foundation from the beginning so our motives were always pure. And so, this guy got up there. The first event we went to, this guy gets up there and he stands and they've been ch teaching us all this stuff. And he gets up and he says, I'm going to teach you guys how to um, ask for money as a pastor. He said, that's something you're not really good at. You know, you're just not used to that, right? So I'm going to teach you guys how to ask for money. And I'm like, all right, this is going to be interesting. So he gets up and he starts like this. And this is his story, not mine. So I'm going to tell this and y'all are going to be like, man, that story that I can't believe Mike's life, man, that was so awesome, right? This is his story, not mine, all right? He said, uh, 
he, he got up there and he said, you know, growing up, you know, I, you know, me and my parents never went to church and we kind of went on, you know, Sunday or on Easter every once in a while. We went on Christmas sometimes and we were kind of poor, you know, didn't have a lot of money. And so when we'd go, we didn't really have the, the right clothes and we'd always, we'd go in there and we'd just feel uncomfortable and we felt like we didn't fit in and we would, you know, I just never felt accepted in church and I just never felt loved in church and I just felt like when I would go in, people were looking at us funny and looking at me funny and as a kid and so I kind of grew up and just never really cared about God or the church because I just felt uncomfortable and I felt like I wasn't accepted and I felt like I wasn't loved and I felt like I'd never met God. And so I kind of grew up and he said, he kind of grew up and went to college and he wanted to be a doctor. And so he went to college, wanted to be a doctor. And as he was doing that, he just felt uh, depressed and alone. And began, even as he's getting in here, about to get his degree, he felt hopeless and like there was just no point. And so he got to this point where he said that he was kind of even to the point of like suicidal. He's just nervous. He didn't have hope. Just what's, what, why? What's the point of life? And so he said one Sunday he was just driving his car around and thought, man, I'm just going to drive around and just, just maybe pray or something. I don't know. And so he said, I'm going to do this. And so he started driving around. As he's doing, he passes by this elementary school. And this elementary school has flags outside and signs for this church that's meeting in this elementary school. And he thinks, that's weird. I've never seen this before. And so he said, I don't know why I did it, but for some reason I pulled, into the, I pulled into the elementary school parking lot and I sat in the parking lot and I could hear the music in my car from the church. And I sat there and I said, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to go in. He said, but something in me, I said, you know what, I'm just going to go in. So I got out of the car. I walked in. He said, I got to the door. I opened the door and I went and I went to shut the door. I said, I'm not going to do it. I can't do this. I began to shut the door and all of a sudden I heard, hey, welcome to church. And he said there was this, this lady there. This, he said it was like this sweet lady, like everybody, just like your grandmother, you know, like just everybody's grandmother. He said, and she walked up and she hugged him. She said, I'm so glad you're here. And she wrapped her arms around his neck and said, we're so happy you're here at church with us today. Is this your first time here? And he said, it is. Yeah, it's my, I've never been here before. And so she said, well, we've got, I want to introduce you to somebody. So she, he said she grabbed him by the arm and basically dragged him, you know, pulled him all the way in and said, introduced him to this guy. He said, this is one of our ushers. He said, he's going he's gonna to find you a great seat because church has already started, but you're, we're important to us. And we, we're so happy that you're here. So we want to find a, a great seat for you. So he said the usher brings him down. They had reserved seating for guests and, so, and for people that were late. And so they said that he pulled in and said, hey, and here's the great spot for you. We're so happy that you're here today. And so he said he sat down and he said he never felt like that in church before. Like they weren't looking at him funny. They weren't, they were happy that he was there. That was different. That's weird, you know. And so he said he sat down and the music played and the band was great and he felt God. And he said he just felt the Holy Spirit like he'd never felt. He didn't know it was the Holy Spirit at the time. He felt God like he hadn't felt God before. He said the preacher gets up and starts talking about this Jesus that loves him and cares about him and died for him and wants to have a relationship with him. And he said at the end of the service, the preacher gave this invitation saying, man, if you want to have your life changed, if you want to know God, come down and, and pray with. We have some people that you can pray with. Come and pray and get saved and give your life to God. And he said, and for some reason, he said, I didn't even want to. He said, but I just got up. Well, he wanted to, but he said, my legs just got picked me up and took me down there, right? And so he goes down, he says, and then I, I prayed. And he said, and God saved me. And he said, and my life was changed and transformed. And he said, and my life has never been the same since. And he said, and that's why I want to plant a church, because I want to 
build a place. I want to plant a church. I want to have a church like that where people, as soon as they walk in the door, are loved and feel welcome and know that God cares about them and he loves them and wants to save them and wants to have a relationship with them. That's why I want to plant a church. And in that moment, I'm like, Katie, where's my wallet? Give him our money, right? Give him everything, right? You know? And he was just giving an example. You know, I'm like, what, look, Katie, forget our church plan. Let's go be a part of that guy's church, right? <laughs> so why did I tell that story? Well, we're going to pass out the offering plates now. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Don't worry. I'm not preaching about money. You can, okay, no, he's not money. Why did I bring that up? Because the, the reason why he said this is how you ask for money is because it wasn't, it's not about the money. It's not that. What he was saying is if you're going to go and say, I want you to invest in this, to people, to businessmen or other organizations, churches. If I want you to invest in this, they need to understand the heart behind what you're doing. They need to understand the heart behind what they're investing in, the why behind what you're doing. Like the, the heart behind our actions matter, doesn't it? And that's what he said. It wasn't not really about the money. He's saying they need to understand your vision and your heart for why you want to do this. And so I, I think about that, like the, the, heart, the heart behind what you do matters and is just as important as what you are doing. Like, for example, if I go home today and I'm like, man, I got I to gotta go do these dishes because if I don't, man, Katie isn't going to nag me and she will just not shut up. And so I'm just going to go and just do it. Just get it over with, right? How's she going to feel about that? She said, man, I just love my husband. <laughs> no. I go home and I'm like, man, Katie's pregnant. I care about her. I know I'm gonna, the houses will feel fresh. It'll feel nice if I just go here, do these dishes and, and take care of her, right? She feels that's a little bit better, right? Like, like the action's the same, isn't it? Like at the end of the day, the dishes are still getting done. So what should she complain about, right? I'm still doing them, right? Right? Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, says the single man. <laughs> I was right. <laughs> <laughs> No, the heart behind the action matters, right? So at the end of the day, the dishes are still getting done, but, but if, if I'm going to say, I'm just going to do them so I can get Katie to leave me alone, she's going to say, you might as well not do those dishes. You might as well just, well, she might say, no, you can still do them. <laughs> <laughs> the heart behind what we do matters. I think sometimes as Christians, we get the heart behind our actions twisted, mixed up. So we live the Christian life in certain ways, or we strive to be a Christian, or we do certain things, and sometimes the heart behind that is, is wrong. And so I, I want to talk about that a little bit today, but even more than that, I want to talk about sometimes we see God, and we see him sending Jesus to die on the cross for us, and we see things that he does in our lives, and we get that twisted, because sometimes we miss God's heart behind his actions for us. That's why a few weeks ago, I had to preach about, hey guys, remember when bad things happen in your life, it's not God punishing you. That's not who he is. That's not how God acts. Like people get sick or, um, or you, you know, some bad things happen, whatever it might be. God's not up Zeus and strike you down with lightning bolt. That's not him. That's not his heart. That's not who he is, right? But why do we think that? Because sometimes we misinterpret God's heart who he is, his intentions for us. And so today, I want us to focus as much on God's heart in, in the cross and God's heart in the gospel and Christianity as anything else. Because I think if we misunderstand God's heart, we misunderstand the cross and we misunderstand why he sent Jesus in the first place. And so that's kind of what I want to talk about a little bit. So first off, 
I want to kind of talk about some ways that we misunderstand Christianity or some ways that we live out Christianity incorrectly, okay? And so, Amanda, I hope that you looked this one up. Did you look this one up? Yeah. <laughs> Amanda's interpreting. I sent her my notes, and she's like, are you kidding me? Some, so let me find my spot again, sorry. All right, so sometimes we get, we get confused by the gospel, and we live it out incorrectly because we, I think we misunderstand God's heart. So the first way that we do this incorrectly is there's this term called moralistic therapeutic deism. Right, yeah, Woo, that's a mouthful. Moralistic therapeutic deism. So what this is, is we see God as this kind of God who's kind of up in the sky, who doesn't really interact with humankind a whole lot. Like he's just kind of hanging out away from us. And if you can imagine, I call it, it's kind of like, in, in a way, it's kind of like Buddhism, where there's like these huge scales. So just picture these scales in eternity. And on one side is everything good you've ever done, or anything, everything good you ever will do. And you just keep adding, man, I got to do, I'm going to go feed the homeless. I'm going to go, um, I'm going to open up uh, a shelter for battered women. I'm going to do, I got to do all these good things, all these good things, all these good things. And we just keep piling it on there because we know on the other side of the scale is what? All the bad stuff we've ever done. And so this, the reason they, it's this moralistic therapeutic, the moralistic deism is because we think if I can just keep working hard enough, keep doing enough, if I can just keep adding enough good things to the good side of the scale, it will outweigh all the bad things I've ever done on the bad side of the scale. And so we're like, man, if I can just tip it, so I just keep doing good. And then when I die, my final breath, God will look at the scales and go, all right, Mike, good job, buddy. You're in the club. You made it. Right, like St. Peter's up at the pearly gates going, oh man, if you would have just given that homeless guy five bucks, oh, you would have made it, dude. Sorry, hell, ah, right? <laughs> no, that's not how God works. It's, it's, it's salvation isn't a workspace thing. There's not, God's not setting up there like, like, the, like outside of a club with a little chain going, all right, you can come in, you did enough good. You, like, that's, that's not who God is. As a matter of fact, if when we think of it in those terms, when we think, if I can just keep doing good enough, good enough, good enough, eventually I'll tip the scale enough to where I can get in, what you'll understand is we rob the cross of its power. We take away um, the glory from God, from Jesus, what he did on the cross for us because somehow we get it twisted thinking that if I can just do enough, I can get my way in. And that is absolutely wrong. And it steals God of his glory and it robs the cross of its power. Well, it doesn't actually rob the cross of its power, but in our view and what we think, it robs the cross of its power. So God's not some God up there behind the scenes cheering you on going, man, I hope Mike remembers to tip that, the waiter really good and I'll let him in. That's not how the, that's not the gospel. And you're like, well, yeah, obviously Mike. But the thing is, is so many of us live our lives like that's the way it is. We're thinking, man, if I can just keep doing good, right? Like if I can, I've done so many bad things in my life. Like that's why you hear people say, God can never save me, man. He doesn't know how much bad things I've done. God can't save me because as if it's somehow up to you to your doing enough, good. That's not the, that's, again, that's why you robbed the cross of his power. It's not, a, man, no, that's so wrong. And it's such a heavy burden. Isn't that a heavy burden? Thinking that if I could just do one more good thing, he'll love me. If I can just do one more good thing, he'll let me in. That's a weight that that's not God's intention on the cross. That's us misunderstanding his heart. No. A second way that we um, misunderstand the gospel 
is this thing called the assumed gospel. And this is, this is one that's kind of a fine line you have to be careful with because what this one is, is it talks about how once, so we agree in the assumed gospel, you think, all right, so at the cross, God saves me and he forgives me. He gives me a clean slate, but I better not mess up again. And it's this thought process that, I, that even after the cross, I, have to, I better keep doing good. And not because, and we're not talking about not having a holy life or not living a transformed life, but I'm talking about our heart behind it. We think we have to keep doing good so he'll continue to love me, continue to save me. We're not doing good because he saved us. We're doing good hoping he'll still save us. And that's wrong too. Matter of fact, I think that as I was thinking about this, a lot of well-intended teachers and preachers mess this up because they think that life transformation should happen because by behavior of religion and not by God's Holy Spirit transforming us from the inside out. What both of those thought processes lead to is idolatry over the gospel. What, what I mean by that is this. Um, idolatry in man's heart. So man, we know this, like human beings, man, we're just, we're just messed up people, aren't we? And our hearts want to constantly run away from God to ourselves. And so idolatry in man's heart always leads away from the Savior and back to self-reliance. We always want to put it back on myself. Like we're an American, man, we are so good at this. Like, man, we, we love the story of this guy just pulled himself up by his own bootstraps and just, he had no family. He was, you know, he was homeless. His dad, my parents just abandoned, putting in, put him in like a dumpster when he was born. But he literally pulled himself out by his own diaper, went to, went to put himself through college. And now he's a multi-billionaire all on his own, right? The story of Donald Trump, right? <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> uh, he's like, we, I did it all on my own. We love that story, right? And the idolatry of our heart wants to constantly run back to that, that, hey, I did it. It's me. I can do this. And so that's why what ultimately happens is that this is the religion is the tool of the righteous man he uses to exalt himself. I did enough. I made my way. In the end, I saved myself. It's this thought process. Like, that's the thing. Like, if we think that if I can do enough, God will save me, what you're thinking is that you can somehow do enough to get him to save you. That's idolatry thinking that you're good enough. The Bible says, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. What is that? God made Jesus who was perfect to become sin for you and me on the cross. So on the cross, Jesus takes on all of the sins of the world on himself and God releases his wrath into the cross, the punishment for sin. Why? Because he's a just and good God. Therefore, sin must be punished. The wages of sin is death and hell. That's what we deserve. But on the cross, Jesus took all of the sins on himself. God released his wrath. So God made him who knew no sin to become sin on the cross for us. Why? So that you and I might become the righteousness of God. What does that mean? So that you and I can become saved. Tell me at what part you earned in that. God made him who knew no sin, Jesus, to become sin for us, Jesus dying on the cross, so that what? So that Mike can just do enough good things and then he can get into heaven? Was that in this verse? Are you sure? Because I'm pretty sure that was there. No? God made him who knew no sin. God made Jesus who knew no sin to become sin on the cross for you and me so that what? So that you and I can what? Be saved. Did I earn that? No. So why do we keep trying, right? Here's kind of what Paul has to say about it. Philippians uh, 3, 4 through 9. 
So Paul is talking about, uh, he's talking about the Christian faith and he's talking about works. So what works is, is like works-based righteousness is trying to earn your salvation. That's kind of what we've been talking about. Paul's talking about this. He says, although I once had confidence in the flesh, if anyone else has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. What he's talking about when he says confidence in the flesh is like confidence in action, confidence in good deeds, confidence in myself, the flesh being himself. So he's saying, if there's anyone who could be proud of all the great things they've done in life, it should be me. Paul's a really humble guy, isn't he? All right, it says, if, if anything else has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, regarding the law, a Pharisee, regarding zeal, persecuting the church, regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. What did he just say? In our terms, he's basically saying, I was the best Hebrew of all Hebrews, of all Hebrews, of all Hebrews. Like if, if we're putting it in like Christian terms our day, he's like, man, I'm so saved. My, my great, great, great grandmother knew Jesus. That's how, that's how much I'm in Christianity. Like every time the doors were open, I was there. As an infant, I came out of the womb and said, take me to church, right? That's, that's what Paul's saying. He said, that's how good I was. That's how good I am. Sounds pretty good, right? Yeah, I'm like, that's awesome. I hope Gideon does that. It says, but, but and he moves on 70. He says, but everything that was a gain to me, so all those good things that I did, I consider them loss because of Jesus Christ. More than that, I consider everything to be a loss in the view of his surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them filth. And so he's saying everything next to Jesus, I consider filth. Because of him I've suffered loss of all things. Sorry. Because of him I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them filth, so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own. Righteousness talking about faith and goodness, purity. Not not of one from my own of my own from the law, but of one that is in what? That is through faith in Christ. So because of my faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that is what? Based on faith. What Paul is saying to us is that the righteousness that I have, all of those good things that I did, as, as great of a Jew as I was, all of those things, if you stacked up all of my good deeds, as all of those where I couldn't attain a righteousness of my own, the only way I can have righteousness is through the cross and through faith in Christ. I didn't earn it. As a matter of fact, he says, if you notice, he says, he says that basically that word filth is the Greek word for feces or poop, dung. And so what he's saying is if you, if you stack up every single good thing I've ever done in my life and stack it next to the holiness, the purity, the goodness of Jesus, it looks like, smells like, tastes like, is excrement next to Jesus. That's a pretty powerful picture, isn't it? As a matter of fact, he said, if you take all of the good things, all of the good things in this world, everything we've ever done, stack it up and put it next to Jesus. Smells like, looks like, tastes like, is excrement next to Jesus. That doesn't sound like I can do enough good things to get my way into heaven, does it? <laughs> matter of fact, it sounds pretty hopeless, doesn't it? So what does this mean? All of the religious effort that you could ever do, all the Sunday school medals you've ever won, your church attendance, your Bible studies, is nothing without Jesus. Without a relationship with Jesus, we are saved, we are sanctified, and we are sustained only through the person of Jesus Christ. 
In the end, if you take every good thing we've ever done and we put it together, but you subtract the cross of Jesus, you subtract our relationship with God, it amounts to absolutely nothing. But the beautiful thing about the cross is when we take all of the bad things that we've done, all of the sins that we've committed, we put them together and you add the cross of Christ, what it amounts to is mercy, salvation, grace, and a relationship with Jesus. And the end, isn't that so absolutely beautiful? See, there's nothing that you can do to earn it. The cross by faith through Christ. Romans 1, 1 and 2 says this, therefore there is now no, no condemnation, excuse me, no condemnation now exists for those in Christ. So Christians, there's no condemnation for Christians because of the Spirit's law and life. Jesus Christ has set you free from the law of sin and death. Set yourself free. Jesus Christ has set you free. If, you have a relationship with him. If you've come to him and you've acknowledged your sin, asked for forgiveness, and now are living in a relationship with him, he has set you free. And so there's some things that kind of make us nervous about this because there's a, a pendulum swing sometimes happens where we're like, all right, sweet. So if I'm saved by Jesus, then I can just do whatever I want now. Life is awesome, right? I don't have to earn anything. Uh, that's not exactly the case, right? First Peter um, 2 Peter 2.9 starts like this. And so Peter's talking about, um, well, not 9. I'm going to start a little, I'm going to start in 1, but you can keep up what I told you, Tyler. So um, P- Peter comes in and he starts talking about holiness. And he's talking about holy living and basically good works and living the Christian life. And he's, he's kind of talking about this. And he's saying, so the point of it is that we don't do um, good things. We don't live for Christ. Or we don't let God transform us to get saved but we are transformed. We live a holy life. We live the Christian life because God has saved us. Do you see the difference in that? The difference in the heart of that? We don't try, we don't live good or live for Jesus, let God transform our lives so that we will be saved. We do it, why? Because he has saved us. We have a transformed life. Peter says this, says, so rid yourselves of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. Like newborn infants, desire pure spiritual milk so that you may grow by it for your salvation since you have tasted that the Lord is good. Since God has saved you, since you have tasted that he is good, get rid of all these things and grow in your faith. Isn't that beautiful? He says, since you have tasted that the Lord is good, coming to him a living stone rejected by men, but chosen and valuable to God. He says you're valuable to God. The idea there where he says valuable is that you are a prized possession by God. You are God's, you are a prized possession. You yourselves as living stones, you are being built into a spiritual house of a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ for it is contained in scripture. Look, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and honored cornerstone. That's what we were singing today. And the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. So honor will come to you who believe, but for the unbelieving, the stone that the builders rejected, the one has become the cornerstone. And the stone, and a stone to stumble over and a rock to trip over, they stumble because they disobey the message that they were destined for this. And he says this. But you, talking to you, Christian. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. 
Why is that? Why do we follow Jesus? Why do we love him? Why do we serve him? Because he has, we were once in darkness and he has called us out into this marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So I went through kind of all of that to say this is not the gospel. What the gospel is not, it is the heart of the gospel is not God sitting up there saying, I hope you do enough good so I can let you in. I hope that you'll, the, the good will outweigh the bad so at the end of the day I, I'll be able to let you in heaven. That's not the heart of the gospel. So what is then? What is the heart of the gospel? I want to share this with you. This is a, a big, beautiful piece of it that I, th- I think. And, and so Peter, it's really found in those verses 9 and 10. It says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So Peter's talking about why we should live a holy life, why we allow God to transform our lives, why, we, why as a Christian we even do good things. And then he ends with that right there. Once you, were, uh, once you did not have mercy, but now you have mercy. Once you were you know, not my people, but now you are my chosen people, right? Or I kind of butchered that, but you know what I mean. Why does he end with that? Here's why. I think it's the heart of the gospel. So here, Peter is quoting the Old Testament. He didn't come up with those words. <laughs> He's quoting the Old Testament. He's quoting this story um, of a man named Hosea. And he's quoting this beautiful story about this man named Hosea. And Hosea was a prophet. So God comes to this prophet Hosea and he says, what I want you to do is I want you to marry this woman who's a prostitute. I want you to marry her. I want you to take her out of prostitution. I, I want you to, to marry her, to make her your wife. This guy's a, he's a priest. Or not a priest, this guy's a prophet, right? Like that sounds kind of weird, right? God comes and hey, Mike, you know. So, so he goes and he's like, all right, I'm going to follow God. So he goes and he marries this woman who's a prostitute. He takes her out of prostitu- prostitution, saves her from prostitution, marries her, loves her, serves her, gives her a new life. You think she'd be pretty grateful, right? You think she'd be pretty thankful, pretty excited about that. But that's not actually what happens. Actually, what happens is she continues to continue in her prostitution. As a matter of fact, having affairs on her husband and getting pregnant, having kids that aren't his kids. So much so that the Bible says that he named one of his kids, not mine. Right? How do you think Katie would feel if I named my kid? That's not mine. Hey, who's that? Oh, this is my son, not mine. What is that telling you, right? So he saves her out of this, pulls her out of, out of prostitution, and she runs back, or she goes back to it and bearing kids that aren't even his kids. He names it. That's, that's not mine, right? You would think that she would have been thankful and grateful. That's not what happens. So Hosea does this really Christian thing. He beats her and sells her into slavery. <laughs> not very good, right? Well, he was upset. He was mad, right? I say, I brought you out of this. I gave you a new life. I gave you a new chance. And you ran away from me. You're having kids by all these other guys. And so he sold her back into slavery. He said, I'm, I'm done with that. Well, what happens? God comes to Hosea and he tells him, he says, I want you to go and I want you to buy her back. 
Go purchase her out of slavery. And I want you to take her back and I want you to love her and I want you to serve her and I want you to treat her well. That's crazy, right? That's, that's insane, right? But actually, it's a picture of the gospel. Because God, what Peter's quoting is from Hosea, where God says, he's quoting four different verses, and one says this, yet the number of the Israelites will be like the sands in the sea, which cannot be measured. And in the place that they were told, you are not my people. So there's, in the place that they told you, you are not my people, you will be called sons of the living God. That's prophecy. And then in verse, or chapter 2, verses 23 and 24, he quotes from this. He says, And I will sow in the land for myself, and I will have compassion where there was no compassion. So where there's no compassion deserved, where there shouldn't have been compassion, God is saying, I want you to go and get her back because there's going to be a time that's going to come where there's no compassion deserved, where I keep trying to love these people, these Israelites. I keep trying to serve them. I keep trying to set them free and they keep running back to slavery. They keep running back to prostitution. But there's going to come a day where they don't deserve compassion. They don't, they shouldn't get compassion, but I'm going to have compassion on them and I'm going to have mercy on them, even though they don't deserve it. Even though what they deserve is to be beaten and thrown back into slavery. I'm going to have compassion. I'm going to show grace. And I'm going to show mercy. And he says, and I will say to, remember I told you he, he said, named his kid, not, my, or not mine. He actually named him, not my people. And God says, I will say to, not my people. That child that shouldn't be my kid. That's not my kid. That kid that's named, not my people. I will say to, not my people. You are my people. And he will say to me, you are my God. That is one of the most beautiful pictures of the gospel. I want you to stand with me. Because what the gospel is, it's not something that you earn. It's not something that, it's definitely not something that you deserve. It's God looking at us. And even though we continue to run back to the prostitution, we run back to the slavery, and we run back to the sin, it's God looking at us and saying, there's going to come a time I'm going to send Jesus, and he's going to die on the cross for those people that are named not my people, those people that don't deserve me, those people that keep running away from me. He's going to die for them. And he's going to take all of their sins on, his, on himself. And I'm going to release all of my wrath onto sin. And I'm going to kill sin and conquer the grave so that not my people can become my people. So there, where there was no mercy deserved, there can now be mercy and compassion and grace and salvation. That is the gospel. And so I want to end like this. We're going to sing and, and, uh, and we're going to worship God because of that. Because even though we don't deserve grace, even though we don't deserve his mercy, even though we don't deserve his, look, look, you can stack up every good thing you will ever do and it will never, ever, 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 do I need to keep going? Ever, ever be enough. But you add in the cross and you add in grace and you add his forgiveness, you add Jesus. Don't you dare rob the cross of its power. And you can be saved. And so I just want to end by we'll worship and we'll praise God for his goodness but I want to say this man if you've been running and you've been fighting you've been thinking I need to earn this I need to earn this I need to earn this what you need to do is take a breath and you need to stop and you need to rest in the fact knowing that run to him and so we have these guys man they're, they're here in the aisles 
I want to encourage you, man, if that's you today, go to them and let them pray for you. Let them pray with you. Say, man, I'm just tired of trying to earn it. I just want to rest in Jesus. I want to rest in his salvation. I want to know him, right? If you're not saved in here today and you say, I want, I've, I've been trying to be saved by earning it, you're, you can't. You never will. I want you to go to those people. I want you to talk to these guys in the aisles and I want you to say, Tell, tell me how to be saved, man. How do I do this? How do I, how do I get this forgiveness? How do I get this relationship with Jesus? And I want you to do that today. It's the day of salvation is now, right? So let's do two things. Let's, if, you, if that's you today, if you've been trying to earn it, go and talk to somebody and figure out how you can just chill out and stop. And you can get grace. And for the rest of us, man, who are resting in the beauty of the cross, let's worship him for his goodness and his kindness. That because we know we could never earn it, but now we have it and we live in it. And he is transforming our lives from the inside out through the cross and through his wonderful Holy Spirit. God, I love you. I thank you for this morning. I thank you for everyone that's here today. Lord, I just want to praise you and worship you and thank you for the cross. Thank you for that beautiful picture of the story, Hosea, how you purchased us back and you keep doing that even though we don't deserve it. God, you sent Jesus. Lord, thank you. But I pray if there's anybody in here today who's just exhausted because they keep trying to earn it, Lord, I pray that you would give them peace. Lord, I pray that, that they would have the courage to go and talk to someone about, about that. Lord, I just, uh, I love you, Lord. We worship you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.